Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, what a week it's been. John Morrissey is taking the week off to celebrate his graduation. We were supposed to be celebrating a win over Sacramento Republic, which would put us into the round of 16 of the Open Cup, and we were looking forward to beating Tampa Bay Rowdies here in Phoenix. Sacramento Republic and Tampa Bay Rowdies are two teams that have not been meeting expectations this season. Sacramento Republic are undergoing a rebuild that isn't anywhere near where it's supposed to be, and Tampa Bay Rowdies, they've been failing pretty miserably compared to the team they were in the past few years. Well, both of these teams decided to flip the script this week. We lost both games, so the lesson I'm drawing from all of this is that the 2022 season is weird, with a capital W. We're losing when we're not supposed to lose, and other teams are winning when they're not supposed to win. Who would have believed that Las Vegas Lights and Los Dos are higher in the standings than New Mexico or Orange County? Who would have believed that we would have fallen to both Las Vegas Lights and Los Dos? It's weird. There's no other word for it. The FA Cup final took place last weekend. I only got to see the second half, but what a disappointment. A total snooze fest of a game. Then Phoenix Suns got smacked down by the Mavs and the Diamondbacks went down to the Cubs. A bad weekend for sports fans in Phoenix and I'm pissed. I'm pissed that we lost to Sacramento Republic and Tampa Bay Rowdies. I'm pissed that we lost by a huge margin. 5-1 against Tampa Bay Rowdies. I'm pissed that it happened here in Phoenix. I'm pissed that Coach Rick Schantz's best efforts and planning didn't pan out. Pissed that we have so many injuries. Pissed that the players we love had to suffer the embarrassment of losing when all that was in our minds was winning big in front of a national TV audience. We stand together, Phoenix Rising family, with our heads bowed, knowing that next week will be different, knowing that lessons are being learned and that we'll see joy again. John Morrissey is off celebrating his graduation. We're so proud of him and look forward to his return next week. I'm so proud of so many of our Phoenix Rising family who are celebrating their high school, college and university graduations this month. And I'm so proud to be part of this family that supported our boys in last week's games despite the losses. That's me, pissed and proud. It's also the title of an album I listened to far too much back in the day, but that's another story. We're going to kick off today's show with a roundup of that game against Tampa Bay Rowdies, and then we'll get into a preview of our next game. Let's go! This is John Morrissey from the USL Tactic Show and the USL Show. And you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Sunday, May 15th, Phoenix Rising hosted East Coast rivals Tampa Bay Rowdies, and we lost. Lost badly, five goals to one. The first time Rising have conceded five goals at home. A regular analyst, Kelly McCarthy, is here to talk about the game. Kelly, welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. Set the scene for us. The Tampa Bay Rowdies are simply not the team they were in previous years. They've lost a few key players, notably Forrest Lasso, 
and they're generally speaking just experiencing a really bad run of form moving into this match. Niall, you mentioned that in your match preview. Their team, Tampa Bay, has only won one match in their last seven with a few draws thrown in there to teams like Oakland Roots, uh, Red Bulls 2, the Baby Bulls, and even Hartford Athletic. So those single points have been keeping them alive. They were sitting right around the playoff line in the Eastern Conference moving into this match. Now, by all accounts, this is a team Phoenix should be able to beat, certainly at home, where Phoenix Rising only has one loss on the season. That said, this is a rivalry. As you mentioned, and a lot of people are calling this, quote, unfinished business. You've probably seen that hashtag around. This is a nod to the 2020 league final that never happened due to a COVID cancellation. Now, I don't love this reference because let's face it, we've played them since then and they won. They finished the business and it still stings. Now, on the flip side, you have Phoenix Rising coming off a nice win over San Antonio last Saturday, May 7th, but that was following a devastating loss in LA the weekend before. So inconsistency, especially defensively, has been the challenge of the season so far. Complicating things further, you had a midweek Open Cup match, which we lost. You've had red cards in multiple games. You have various injuries leading to a rotated lineup that sees players either out of position or not new to the starting 11. So as quoted in the Phoenix Rising press kind of press release preview, quote, a win for either of the two 2020 finalists on Sunday would go a long way in reestablishing their identity as one of the top clubs in the league. This is what we're playing for. Wow. And that's a lot. Kelly, we'll get to the highlights, but first let's take a look at the starting 11. I just want to mention there's a debate as to whether this was a 3-4-3 or if it was a 5-4-1, but what we can all agree on is that we played Ben Lunt in goal and we <laughs> played three at the back. Those three left to right were Manuel Madrid, Joey Farrell and Sievert Holly. And then we had our, um, our wing backs or our, our Outside fullbacks, Ryan Flood on the left, Darnell King on the right. And then in the center, Santi Moore, Joey Calistri, Luis Sejas, Arturo Rodriguez, with our man up front, number 17, Greg Hurst. So Kelly, any surprises with this lineup? <laughs> the whole thing was a bit of a surprise, you know, and as you said, apparently there's some debate as to what shape we took, what the formation was. So Let's just start by saying that injuries, no doubt, forced a change in the personnel, the actual players on the pitch, but we really did see a change in formation. So the USL Match Center has our lineup listed as a 5-4-1. Personally, I think we saw more of a 5-2-3 with Sejas and Kalistri in the middle and Moar, Hurst, and Rodriguez up top. So I didn't really see the 3-4-3 you hinted at, but who really knows what happened? Now, there were some bright spots in this formation, but mostly, and we'll get into this, I think this contributed to our failure is the way we lined up. So it's a question mark. Did those injuries and available players force this formation change? Um, you know, if you think about it, if you stick with your 4-4-3, okay, that's too many players. <laughs> if you stick with your 4-3-3, 
based on the injured center backs that we have, which is at this point, Musa and Lambert, then you have either Farrell, you have Farrell with either Howley or Madrid. So one of them is new, one is a bit slow. Now you don't have Quinn to play the defensive midfielder. So maybe Shantz is just kind of feeling like a three back system is going to counter any of those weaknesses, those defensive weaknesses we could be looking at. Now, unfortunately, you have a team that is not used to a three center back system, and you also have players who aren't familiar with each other anyway, and you've got Lunt trying to direct the traffic and sort of guide the play, and again, he's not familiar with this either. So also notable in that lineup, you're missing a winger or another striker. So based on a 5-4-1, you're putting a lot of pressure on Greg Hurst to score, and you're putting pressure on Santi Moar to play defense, which is not really his typical positioning. And that's just if all goes according to plan. So as you can hear, I don't really like this formation, um, but if we have to have five in our back line, I think we need to put three midfielders on the pitch who know their roles, and then another striker up top with Hurst. I'm thinking Antwi based on his performance last week, but I certainly would have been happy with Repetto. Gotcha. Wow. It's a bit of a formation soup we've got going on there. Well said. All right, Kelly, let's let's get into the highlights. The game started with two teams coming out relatively strong, both playing well, directing the ball forward toward goal. We almost opened the scoring in the 12th minute when Arturo Rodriguez played a short corner to Luis Cejas, who whipped the ball f- toward the far post. Joey Farrell got his head to it. It came close, but it wasn't the one. The actual one came three minutes later. Tampa Bay Rowdies had possession, moving the ball in traffic slowly up the wing. A Tampa Bay Rowdies player slipped in midfield, and Luis Sejas was there to clean it up. Sejas played a short pass to Calistri, who sent the ball up the left wing to Santi Moore, who took a few steps, beat his defender, and crossed the ball to Arturo Rodriguez, who was... One-on-one with the goalie, Arturo passed to his right to an incoming Luis Sejas, the man who started this play, who, with a beautiful first touch, tapped it home. 1-0. Kelly, we're off to a great start. Great goal by Luis Sejas. It was beautiful, and I'm glad you mentioned that he started that play, too. You know, I mentioned there were a couple of bright spots on the evening. Not a ton, but we'll certainly touch on those, too. And I think Sejas was a bright spot. I mean, I think he had a lot to contend with. He certainly made his own share of errors, but he worked really hard, and this is a great example. He'll start the play. He'll finish the play. Now, The way you've described this goal is the way the goal is described, but I see it a little bit differently. Um, I think Santi Moar's cross was actually intended for Greg Hurst, who's pretty tightly marked in front of the goal, and Rodriguez, who's making a nice near-post run, actually intercepts it, cuts it off. This causes the keeper to come out. Hurst player also commits to Rodriguez, and Sejas is making a run behind Hurst, which I think Rodriguez is brilliant to see. And I'll mention him. Parts of his play are another bright spot with this formation as well. As you can see here, he's eager to make things happen offensively, and this formation kind of gives him the flexibility to do so. I just love the link-up play here. I loved Santi Moore's cross. He knew when to get rid of the ball. I thought Rodriguez was brilliant to hold for just a beat to allow Sejas to make that run. And Sejas is ice cold with his finish. It's beautiful. We've seen Sejas score from outside the 18. This is a new look look for him. And I just love his versatility. 
fantastic, Kelly. Ten minutes later, Tampa Bay Rowdies got a goal and they would continue to score about every 10 minutes until halftime when the score would see Phoenix down 3-1. So, Kelly, let's go into the Tampa Bay Rowdies goal. You want to talk us through that first one? Yeah, and I don't want to get too detailed with their goals. You know, it's not what we're here to discuss. But, you know, it's pretty depressing to hear you say they score just about every 10 minutes to finish up the first half. Ouch, don't love it. But yeah, the 23rd minute, you know, this particular goal, which will be their first on the evening, starts with a bad giveaway very close to the Phoenix goal. Now, this is something it's worth talking about really briefly because you're hearing people talk about this a lot. You're hearing people talk about transitional defense, just breaking it down, making this simple for our listeners. This is basically, hey, what happens when we transition to defense like after a giveaway? So we were on offense and boom, now all of a sudden we're forced to we're forced to play defense. That's what we're talking about here. Now, King gets beat right away. Uh, the Tampa Bay player passes to another player who's right in front of the Phoenix goal. This shouldn't be a problem. We have our three center backs in front of the goal too, but that player passes the ball and two of our center backs, Haugley and Farrell, both commit. This is an error of understanding your position, understanding your role and communication. They both commit. No one picks up the runner and let's face it. It was a beautiful finish. Gotcha. Well, Kelly, that was right around the 23rd minute. Ten minutes later, they got their second goal. That was a hard one. Talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, again, it's worth viewing from the lens of kind of what went wrong from the Phoenix Rising side, but you really can't talk about this goal to start off that way. I mean, this is a beautiful pass by Hamilton. It's a through ball, splits our defense up, and then it's a great chip by Harris. So, I mean, you just have to acknowledge what a nice ball this is. Um, you really can't deny it. It's a beautiful goal. But um, this is also something I see as a failure of our formation. So a 5-4-1, which by some estimations we were playing, it just requires three incredibly capable center backs. We need speed and agility from those center backs. Not sure we have it. As a reminder, we have Farrell. We have Madrid and we have Haugli, not in that order. So they're also in a really high line here. The ball gets played behind them. This is something that doesn't work for us regardless of the formation. We're not fast enough when that ball gets played in behind. We certainly aren't with that personnel. We're lined up. We keep a tight line. I personally think if we're going to play with three center backs, one should be playing back further. Yes, you give the team more space. Um, you're not going to be playing the trap. You're not going to be playing people off sides, but you've got at least a, you've got a sort of a lead on the runner. If you're playing with someone dropping a little deeper, that's just me. But in this case, we get into that dreaded foot race. Luke comes way too far off of his line. He basically has to, because he knows his players are not going to be able to chase this down. And then it's that beautiful chip overhead. Um, it's again, I think it's we've got the wrong personnel in the wrong formation, and then it's just a beautiful play. Yeah. So, Kelly, that takes us up to the 45th minute. So, we're looking at the clock. How much stoppage time is going on there? Is there a chance for us to claw back the equalizer? We're 2 1 down. And then it was just like a stab in the heart when Tampa Bay Rowdy's <laughs> third goal came two minutes into stoppage time. Phoenix had a promising attack going when Tampa Bay Rowdy's intercepted the ball in their own half again. The, they launched that counterattack and Phoenix just couldn't scramble back in time to defend. Basically, Joey Farrell at this point had two Tampa Bay Rowdy's forwards to contend with and he just wasn't doing it. 
Kelly, we're going into halftime and it's kind of misery. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. And like you said, again, we've got the transitional defense. This was a counterattack. It happened fast. Now, keep in mind, no matter how good you are in transitioning, this can happen too. I mean, <laughs> there's just times when a fierce counterattack takes you off your game. So, you know, I don't want to suggest that we're supposed to win all of these, like, you know, the other team's going to score, but this is just another example of how fiercely caught out we get in these counterattacks. And like you said, Farrell finds himself in a 2v1. Now make a note, because this is when Farrell starts to get desperate and that's going to have dividends later. Are dividends positive? Maybe that's the wrong expression, but it's going <laughs> to come to roost later. Now, again, yeah, thank you you know, kudos to the Tampa Bay player. Forgive me. I haven't learned their names, but he does a great job picking out the far corner too, by the way. I mean, we have to tip the hat. Yeah. I thought that in general, Kelly, we were under a lot of pressure. Um, and just, I didn't have much to celebrate from that first half besides that one goal that we had. Were you feeling the same yeah, way? Yeah. I do. And I mean, like you said, you've just gone down another goal in stoppage time and you're seeing that the other team is playing superiorly <laughs> now the formation is stacked in defense so not only should we be playing better defensively but this also lends itself to counterattacks with those wing backs but these counterattacks are not materializing for phoenix rising hurst and moar have not been dangerous enough and we know that coach shantz does not typically change much in terms of personnel or formation at the halftime so you're kind of worried like how are we going to turn this around yeah, absolutely. We're going into the second half, needing a strong start, but it couldn't have gone much worse. Just two minutes into halftime, one of the Tampa Bay Rowdies players breaks through the Phoenix defense and into the 18-yard box. He didn't have much going on, and from the right side of the park, he passed the ball along the face of goal. There should have been no danger, as there were no Tampa Bay Rowdies players there to support, but center-back Sievert Hogley was running in to meet it, and because of the laws of physics and maybe a slow reaction, the ball hit his foot and went into goal, putting Tampa Bay Rowdies up 4-1. Kelly, unfortunate question mark? <laughs> unfortunate for Hogley, I thought he put in a decent shift, especially given how new he is to the team and how much was asked of him, you know, to play with these other two center backs who are inexperienced kind of in this formation. He gave it his all. And you can't necessarily say that from every player on the pitch on the evening. So it was unfortunate for him. But, you know, things happened prior to him and that nasty deflection. You know, we, again, this is transition. Sejas loses the ball. He has trouble catching up. We need to learn how to force players wide. You know, when you've got players dribbling toward your goal at speed, they're off balance. So we need to learn how to not foul, but just direct people. I mean, picture Santi Moa, right? If you picture Santi Moa racing towards goal like unable and unwilling to use his left foot what happens he just gets pressed 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 and anyway you can move players off their trajectory safely at speed we just don't know how to do it so Farrell commits it's a pitiful attempt and then it's a nice pass played behind him so once again has to come out it's a last ditch pass back by the Rowdies player and then that unfortunate deflection I mean this didn't need to happen Lunt is being forced into some really unfortunate situations all night long. And now you're looking at an own goal. Emotionally, this becomes very hard to overcome. You've had Farrell just, you know, 
commit, not even stick out a foot, pull himself out of a play where he's very needed. So again, you're seeing Farrell start to implode as well as the defensive line in general. Gotcha. So we're down 4-1 and then things don't get any better. We're into the 69th minute. Tampa Bay Rowdies are in the Phoenix box again, close to the Phoenix goal. It's a tight angle, but one of the Tampa Bay Rowdies players takes a shot. The ball gets deflected off of Ryan Flood and goes straight into goal. Another own goal. Kelly, I just want to mention that at this point, only one other team has that many own goals. Can you guess who? No. We just like to play guessing games around here. It's LA Galaxy 2. <laughs> I'm going to actually say that. I really was. Darn it, I should have gone for it. Yeah, so Kelly, at this point, 5-1. Things are looking really bad. Yeah, I couldn't really watch that goal happen, and I couldn't really watch it in highlights and in replay. I mean, I, I just, I close one eye, cover up the other one with your hand. Like, I don't even know what happened here. I think there were multiple Megs. Did it go through several people's legs? Like, I think it went through um, floods and deflected off one of those legs. And I think it goes through loons as well. Like, I'm not even sure. The, de- the defense has just lost it at this point. You know, th- you're looking at a team that feels like they've really fallen apart. I think it was a meg on Ben Lunta at the end there. Yeah. Um, Tampa Bay Rowdies, Kelly, are up 5-1. And that's where the score would stay. But there'd be more drama. A heavy tackle by Joey Farrell in midfield. Earned him a second yellow. He's shown the red. He's sent off. It's the nail in the coffin. The 69th minute um, and the red card stats at this point. Phoenix has three red cards and only two teams have more. Monterey Bay have four and Red Bulls two have five. Kelly, we're seeing way too many red cards. We are. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because when you think of the teams that have more, you think of teams that are often defensively desperate. I mean, most Phoenix Rising fans probably follow the Western Conference a little bit more closely than the Eastern, and we've all heard about Monterey Bay's defensive issues. I mean, it's been bad. They've lost games by very high margins, and that's when the red cards start to happen, when you're defensively desperate. We see it with the individual effort here with Joey Farrell. We talked about this last week. Just last week, we talked about how he needs to stay on his feet. All the time, he needs to make better decisions about when to go for that slide tackle. But certainly when you're on a yellow, that's a maturity issue. It's an attitude issue. It's a training issue. Like, you're not sure what else to do, I guess. Anyway, it's problematic. And, you know, we met a couple of awesome Phoenix Rising fans at the at the match last night, including one who's also a fan experience um, fan and he talked about you know as soon as Farrell gets that yellow why don't you think about changing your lineup changing your formation and it's a good point you know we've seen Farrell fall apart a little bit it might have been smart to get him off that pitch fair enough Kelly I think it's fair to say that Phoenix did well to not concede any more goals despite Tampa Bay Rowdies continuing to press at the final whistle we're all massively disappointed and let's face it Kelly we're pissed People were pissed. People were definitely pissed. I wasn't pissed. I was disappointed. You know, I really felt like we needed to 
adjust our formation given the players that we had on the pitch. I thought we needed to acknowledge when something wasn't working and make a change. I mean, the substitutions that we made were really just indications that we'd given up the match and we wanted to rotate some people in who hadn't gotten a lot of playing time. I think we gave an academy player their professional debut. Cool. But, you know, it's much too little and much too late. So I wasn't pissed, but I would have liked to have seen some management decisions that would have made, would have brought us back to playing to our strengths, if that were even possible. I mean, when you look about what went, look at what really went wrong in this match, a lot of it has to do with the defense struggling. I mean this in terms of the actual players on the pitch. I mean it in terms of the whole team playing defense. So, you know, I just didn't think our center backs looked confident. I didn't think Luton knew how to direct them. I know that Flood and King have that wing back mentality, but they just didn't split their time well playing offense versus defense. We had Flood really off his game, in my opinion. I think he needs to be given a job, explain the job, and let him stick to it. I think this wing back, you know, playing on the outside like that with three center backs was confusing for him. He was, you know, again, we ran into another one of our fun Phoenix Rising fans at halftime. Um, Shout out to Logan. And he just talked about feeling like Flood was just ball watching the whole game. Flood's an exceptional player, but he just didn't have a great night. So here's a lot of defensive errors that we're seeing. Now, this doesn't piss me off, but it makes me concerned. We've had so much inconsistency. If we're going to play around and try something new, let's keep trying. Let's keep trying throughout the match to find what works with the players that we have available to us. So, you know, I mentioned what was happening with Flood that was on the near side for us in the first half, and I suspect the same thing was happening on the far side with King. And by the way, my suspicions are kind of confirmed. If you look at his statistics, guess how many passes he had on the night? Niall, hold on while I give you more context for this guessing game. Sejas had 40, Kalistri had 34. How many did King have? Should be right around there. So how many did he have? Let's say 30. He had nine. King had nine passes on the evening. Where was he? What was he doing? You know, and if he wasn't doing anything offensively, if he wasn't doing anything, you know, in the middle third of the park, let's get him back playing proper defense, maybe man marking. So speaking of the middle of the pitch, we left the middle third completely open. Now you have five players committing to defense. You have three players, two of whom are supposed to be in the midfield, Rodriguez and Moore pushing forward. This leaves two players actually occupying the midfield, Sejas and Kalistri. And because the wingbacks aren't picking up players, these two, Sejas and Kalistri, are getting themselves tied up in the defensive effort. And it just left the middle of the park wide open. I mean, it was like an invitation. Do what you want. Maybe we'll pick you up somewhere near our own box. Um, I think our midfield did their best to play make. But their efforts were completely in vain. I mean, Sejas is credited with two chances created, but in terms of duels, clearances, interceptions, and shots, we got nothing out of Sejas and Kalistri in a real way. So, I mean, we just gave away the middle third. And sorry, I just launched into issues when you talked about being pissed. Maybe I am. I just want to <laughs> highlight another issue. It was our first touches as a team. So Tampa Bay played very close defensively and we just didn't do enough 
when we were on offense, because by the way, I have a problem with our transitional offense at this point as well. Ooh, let's save that for another day. But we just didn't do enough to get open. When that ball arrived, picture Santi Moar pressing his back up against a defender as he always is. You know, if you're being defended that tightly, when the ball arrives, your first touch has to be perfect. You have to either do a first touch, like Hurst is known to do back to a player that's coming behind you on a run, or you have to be able to pass it around. You have to be able to control it. I mean, balls were just plucked out of their feet and either cleared or effectively played out of the back. Remember, there's now bags of space for them to play the ball forward. Um, it, it, was just, it was just a mess of a game, to be honest with you. And I haven't gotten into all the issues I saw with our forwards, really. Kelly, I'm going to take it back a little bit. We, we okay. played three center backs. That's a new look for this team. And one of the reasons that we play three at the back is to bolster the defense against counterattacks. So you might remember that early in the season, a lot was made of our inability to cope with counterattacks. So we started playing with three counterbacks instead of two. And at this point, it doesn't look like we're doing any better as so many of the goals in this game came from counterattacks. So we've three center backs, but boy, do they look vulnerable, especially during the counter. So is it attempt to go back to our straight four at the back, or do we just need to tighten up on the way that those three center backs play together? Yeah, it's time for us to go back to the four back system, four in the back system, in my opinion, you okay. know, you've got to utilize the strengths of the players on your team. And obviously we are picking up center backs, you know, possibly due to injury, you know, just to have depth in that position, possibly because we want to move towards these three center backs. But at this point, we're not where we need to be. We don't have our best center backs healthy. We don't have our currently available center backs understanding how to play in the system and understanding how to play together. So, you know, I'm not saying abandon it. If this is where we're headed, let's just head there. Let's start training in a way that prepares us for matches. And I also want to add on to that, that if the three center backs are looking that vulnerable, do we just look at the center backs or do we also look to our midfield and look to our full backs or our wing backs and say, where do they need to pick it up? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Let's move and forward, Kelly. It's a good point. And that's what I mentioned. You know, where was the midfield supposed to be? Where were they actually? Why weren't they cutting off some of these players? That middle third was completely available. And now we've got these center backs sort of quaking in their boots, not sure what to do with a runner that's just coming at them full speed. Yeah, yeah, our runners. Mm. So we're going to leave it, Kelly. Are there any bright spots in this? Do you have any closing comments um, to, to brighten our week for us, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm sorry to have been so negative. Um, you really got a frown on my face when you said we were pissed, and I just like I leaned in. But we're not pissed. Of course, there's always bright spots. You know, we did see some bright spots, as I mentioned, in the formation and in terms of players reacting in that formation. I think um, Luis Cejas remains a bright spot on the team. You know, even when things are falling apart, he maintains a great attitude, and you know, he is a playmaker. He is a great leader. We saw, you know, we want Rodriguez, I think, playing in the midfield more, but we did see him making opportunities offensively, and I think it allowed him to stretch himself creatively, which was cool. Um, 
you know, also statistically, we're pretty high. We Phoenix Rising are pretty high, pretty much at the top of the league when it comes to shots and goals. So the offensive success is really within reach. You know, it's happening. And we also have some quality players on the bench, as I just talked about. So that's a bright spot. That's something that's exciting that we can look forward to. Uh, we've also done really well against difficult teams. Now, you don't want to be a team that only does well when you're playing against really good teams. You want to be able to slaughter the teams that aren't as good and pick up those points. But we've done well on occasion. You know, I'm thinking of New Mexico, Miami FC, San Antonio. So, you know, we are able to do it with the right players in the right formation. And that's for Shantz and his coaching staff to do some work on as well. And then finally, we have injured players right now. The great news is they'll come back into fitness. They'll come back into full fitness and they'll be returning to the squad and strengthening what we have available. So, you know, this, this is one of those negatives. That's a positive, but our, our weaknesses have been exposed. We've had quite a few weaknesses, many of them defensively, they've been exposed. We should be able to train against them at this point. We should be able to fix them. The season's young. And I do believe that coach Rick Shantz does learn from his mistakes Me and I, I'm fully behind him. I trust coach Rick Shantz. Phoenix Rising are not scheduled to play Tampa Bay Rowdies again in the regular season, but maybe we'll see them in the cup final and have a chance to put things right. Kelly, <laughs> thanks for coming on. It's great talking football with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, stick around for the rest of the show. It's more fun if you listen with a friend. Thanks for listening. This is Teo Mackey from the Arizona Republic, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we have two games left in the month of May. Our boys make the trip to Albuquerque on Saturday, May 21st to take on New Mexico United. And a week later, it's another away trip, this time to Connecticut to take on Hartford on Saturday, May 28th. I don't know about you, but I would do literally anything to get six points out of these two games. Let's take a look at the game against New Mexico, but first, huge thanks to Kelly McCarthy for coming on the show today, episode 56 of the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising Supporters podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word by sharing this episode with a friend. It would mean the world to us. If you see us on Twitter or Facebook, give us a like and a retweet, and give us a five-star rating on your podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate it. This podcast comes out every Tuesday. Subscribe and follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. We love hearing from you, so send your questions, thoughts, and ideas to thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC, and the invitation's always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. Let's get back to that game preview, the game against New Mexico United on Saturday, May 21st in Albuquerque. So far this season, with nine games played, New Mexico are at a 33% win rate with three wins, two losses and four draws. We have 10 games under our belt and we have a 60% win rate with six wins and four losses. Both teams have three clean sheets, New Mexico have 10 goals, nothing compared to our 19 goals. Since the beginning of April, Phoenix have only two losses in seven games against tough opponents, while New Mexico have only one win in their last seven games, and that was against a very weak opponent, Charleston Battery, who only managed one win themselves this entire season. New Mexico are playing a 3-4-1-2 formation this season. Three centre-backs, 
two deep-lying midfielders Sergio Rivas and Justin Portillo and two wing-backs who quickly transitioned to high attacking positions, namely Daniel Bruce on the right and Harry Swartz on the left. Chris Wien is the playmaker who sits in the pocket between the two strikers Nico Brett and Preston Ataka. On the whole, these three, Chris Wien, Nico Brett and Preston Ataka, lead the team in assists, lead in goals scored and also in shots taken. However, that midfielder, Harry Swartz, is showing up with three goals so far this season, so he's also one to look out for. We played New Mexico United just a few weeks ago and we beat them twice. We beat them 1-0 on April 16th, an incredibly exciting game with a goal from Greg Hurst assisted by Marcus Epps. Then four days later we beat them 2-1 in a US Open Cup game with goals from Calistri and Hurst. That was the one where Santi Moore headed the ball into the box to Greg Hurst who headed it home. In case you're wondering who scored that lone goal against us, it was Nico Brett, currently their top goal scorer with four goals. Back in 2019, Nico Brett played for Pittsburgh Riverhounds and he set a USL record by scoring four goals in a single match. Those goals were against Birmingham Legion, a team he would end up playing for in 2021. He scored 18 goals that season for them, setting a club record for the most goals scored in a season. This game against New Mexico is a game that we should win. We're much better on paper and we've beat them twice already this season. I mentioned earlier about how pissed I am about losing our last two games. I'm also so proud of our boys and so proud of this club. This club that unites us and provides passion, drama and also meaning for so many of us. Going forward to New Mexico, I'm pissed and I'm proud. Albuquerque, New Mexico, y'all better get ready. Get ready because you ain't seen nothing like us before. We're pissed and we're proud. Go Rising! <laughs>